What's up, guys? Super excited for this episode today. It is an interview with my friend, James Pratt. Just to give you a little background, uh, I myself am a client of Pratt Personal Training, which James is the founder and owner of this business. Uh, his gym happens to be located across the street from our office. This interview is going to be unbelievably valuable, whether you are in school, whether you're just getting going in practice, or already established and want to develop relationships with trainers and personal trainers in your gym. So just to give you a preview, we broke this down into three separate sections. Section one is just speaking through James's entrepreneurial journey. And to get you a little more context, James is a practitioner, went to school for exercise science. Uh, he is a trainer's trainer. He's an unbelievably skilled trainer. But over time, like so many of us realize, the only way to grow is to be able to work on the business rather than in. And so I start the interview by speaking with James about the transition that he made from being a trainer and an excellent trainer to being a business owner and what that entailed and what that transition looked like. Then we move into what I think for most of you will be unbelievably valuable. James actually Prior to the interview, he took time to write down some of the thoughts and some of the hesitations and some of the reasons why a trainer might be hesitant or might not want to refer or have a working referral relationship with you as a rehab Cairo. And so he literally wrote down a list of about 10 to 15 different thoughts or actions or reasons why you might not be able to develop that relationship. And so if I'm you, this is a section where I listen, then I stop, I rewind, I take out a notepad, I write it again. Because if you know anything about marketing, it's that you have to understand the person you're marketing to. And if you want to develop a relationship with a trainer, the first thing is developing that relationship, which is an exercise in marketing. Marketing is about understanding the client or the customer or the person you're marketing better than they understand themselves. And so whether that's an insecurity or uh, false expectations or a lack of understanding, that middle section for you guys out there that haven't cracked the code on working with coaches and trainers in your area, uh, a must, must, must listen. And then part three, we go into questions from our audience. I posted a poll on Instagram, a few of the questions that we answered, um, which I thought was very insightful was how does James speak to his clients about coming to see us at our practice because we are expensive and because we are cash and how he decides or how he makes a decision if he'll refer to us versus the in-network and potentially how he talks about that. Again, super uh, important for you guys because you have to coach your referral sources. So there's so much value in this episode. I have a feeling we're going to get a ton of feedback that this could be the most valuable episode uh, we've done in quite a long time. And that's saying something. Hey, um, if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd appreciate a review on iTunes or Spotify. I'd appreciate a share. Anything you can do to help it grow. Uh, we do this because we know that it helps so many out there and we get messages literally daily that it's helpful. So we just want to keep spreading the word. So I hope you enjoy this episode and we will talk to you soon. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Business School for the Rehab Chiropractor. Class is officially in session. My name is Justin Rabinowitz, and I am a rehab chiropractor on a mission to teach you, a fellow rehab chiropractor, the exact tools and systems I've used to build my own successful rehab chiropractic practice so you can do the same. I hope you enjoy, and please subscribe. you have any fancy music and stuff? Bro, you want me to start over now? <laughs> <laughs>
We're going to cut that at the beginning because you screwed it up. Joel, you're going to have to cut this out because this guy's. <laughs> now, you know what? We're probably just going to keep this in. We'll just keep this in. That's right, a recommendation. I think How are you today? Some fancy music. I'm we good. have fancy I'm, music. Do you not listen to the podcast? I'm 35 plus one day now. So happy, happy belated. Thank you. Appreciate it. Gray hair doesn't look terrible. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go. Let's get right into it here. Um, obviously, you've been a huge part of what we've done here. And even with our live event coming up, you almost made people vomit by hosting a seminar. Um, you are a, a amazing gym owner. And I think very much in the same stages and capacity that a lot of our mastermind members are. But more than that, and why I wanted to have you on in three parts, number one, talk about your entrepreneurial journey. Number two, talk about some insights that, you know, Hannah always comments to our audience that you've shared with us as a, as a um, joint venture opportunity, as a referral partner that no other gym owner has ever spoke about before, very honestly. And then part three, a Q&A uh, from my audience that when I asked them questions yesterday. So I want to pick it up for you. You know, you are just like us. You are like a practitioner. You went to school to become a exercise science trainer, to work with clients and to like do the thing, just like us to work with clients and be in rehab, be as a rehab Cairo. But I watched you, you know, I'm a client in your business. And so I've watched you over the course of time transition from working in the business as a practitioner that writes programs and coaches clients to now working on the business. And it was probably a little bit after COVID. So let's call it 2021 when that transition started to to really happen. And it's a very challenging thing to do specifically when you've kind of identified your whole being as either a trainer or rehab Cairo or someone that does that. Um, and I didn't know, and I don't think you knew for a long time, if you ever would make that transition into really being a business owner who happens to own a gym. So walk me through maybe the series of events or the mindset shift that happened, that was that transition from being in the business to working on the business. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for starters, thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Number two, I feel like your seminars are like a, it's like a personal development weekend where I feel like it's my role to try to pummel all these people in the ground as much as possible. And then you can uplift them afterwards in your presentation. Perfect. If you, if you want it different, you just let me know. But I, f- I feel like that's going to work really well. Well, there are people that say you can't change your mental state until you change your physical state. So if you make them vomit, then um, then everything's fine after that. Amen. Uh, in regards to the business, I guess to go back to when I first started training to the point of which I realized I probably should stop training and get a little bit out of the technical side. Uh, I basically balanced being a trainer and being a manager for the first uh, five-ish, uh, four to five-ish years of the business. And I enjoyed it a lot and the business was growing. So that probably kept me doing those two roles for far longer than I should have. Um, we leveraged the product so strongly that it carried us out through decent marketing and decent sales processes that kind of happened organically because people luckily enjoyed the product enough that they would buy and they would refer people. So we were, we were potentially blind to the benefits of focusing on sales and marketing because it was happening decently through just trying to establish a stronger product. Now, if I were to go back, I probably would have done that much differently. But the transition of me mentally saying that I probably shouldn't train anymore to the point of I probably shouldn't write programs anymore was when I realized that other people were doing it 
to the same level of satisfaction that I was. So once I had a staff that they were just crushing it on the floor, they were training people and it became like the, hey, like if I'm if I were to sneak off the floor right now and go back and write programs, would anybody be unhappy about that? And once the answer was like a resounding no, then it's like, all right, I'm going to write programs instead of train. And then after coaching up some of the staff to design programs, it's like, well, is there any benefit to me still writing the programs if the other staff is writing the programs and nobody even knows or cares who is writing the program? And then once that was a resounding no, then it's like, all right, well, what, what exactly can I do to benefit the business? Because I just made myself so available that one, I don't know what to do with my time now. Uh, but two, uh, I guess, how do I re-identify myself as somebody who's going to work on the business and be more of a business person versus just a technician that loves training and loves programming? And um, that, was, that was definitely challenging, uh, not only to do, but just psychologically, because everything that I identified as was a trainer and a programmer and a great technician. So trying to figure out how to like, you know what do i do now how do i how do i get a sales team together how do i learn how to uh put some sales kpis together how do i put together some sops related to sales to make sure that we're operating just as efficiently from the sales side as we are in the training side and i think um going down the rabbit hole of trying to be the best technician and then trying to systematize our process from the training perspective, uh, I kind of use that as my template of what I'm trying to do to improve the business now. Um, I want to go back to that idea of being the provider, the technician, the service provider, because, and that's why I started there, because that right there is this, the moment where it could have gone one of two ways where you could have stayed as a pretty successful business and done your thing, or you make that transition to really having a chance to grow this thing. And uh, it reminded me of two different two different scenarios. The first one, early on in my business career, I went out to lunch with a, a local dentist, nice guy, good practice, solo practice. And I'll never forget this. I was at Dunkin' Donuts with him in Berkeley Heights, and I sat down with him and I asked him, I said, have you ever like, thought about bringing on an associate dentist or anything like that. And his immediate answer, he said, he said, no, no, my patients just want to see me. And I remember like, I'll never forget that because I always like to play it out and like what actually happened and probably what happened at one point, he went on vacation and he brought in a, a coverage dentist and none of his patients scheduled because he said, let me just wait till Dr. G is back. And from that moment on, he basically put himself in business jail for the next 30 years because he never thought that anyone else or none of his patients would be willing to work with anybody else other than him. And that, that is a dentist thing. That is a trainer thing. That is a rehab Cairo thing. And it can go on and on. The other story, um, uh, my, I told the story on the mastermind yesterday with my accountant, who's a great accountant. And when I first went to open my business, he was like sort of the back end of his career. And I asked him like, what was his biggest regret going back? And he said, for so many years, I just thought nobody could do it like I could. And because of that, I had a really successful business and I made good money and everything was good. Um, but I just brought on two accountants and not only are they as good as me, they might be better. But what I realized now was how much further I could have gone and what my life could have been like if I would have realized this 15, 20, 25 years ago. And so for a lot of people listening to this, I hope that it resonates in the sense of early on in your career, when you're just getting going, trying to get off the ground, um, 
if you never hear what we're saying now, you're going to be 30 years down the line where these guys were. And that oftentimes is their biggest regret. So, I mean, for you, um, was it a comfort thing? Was it an ego thing? And, and again, what was the, when you, what allowed you to realize that, okay, the product is as good, maybe even better that allowed you to be uncomfortable to step back? Yeah. Like I, I think, I think the, the big thing to just touch on that is, so I think a lot of us are fooled by listening to our customers because what I would get all the time is that like you can't hire somebody and have them do this because they can't do it as good as you. Like you write the programs and you train us. Like no one else is going to do that. And then when somebody, my first hire, Colin, was brought on, it's like everybody loves Colin. But when Colin was first hired, everybody hated Colin, <laughs> which is crazy for some of the members that are here now to think of. Uh, but everybody said, and even at first when I hired them, like there was a point of dis- discomfort that I had to get through of them kind of questioning me and my decisions and saying like, well, why is he here? It's like, well, he's here out of necessity because we have enough members that we need two trainers each hour. But if I wasn't forced into that situation, I don't know if I would have actually made the adjustment because I was so worried about what my members thought. And now repeat that process for however many trainers we've had over the years that have come and gone. Every single time I hire somebody, I just know for the next 60 to 90 days, I'm going to get negative feedback because it's a new trainer. Let me let me pause are, you there. How do you, going into it a little bit, um, how do you balance feed, getting feedback from your members that you actually take and put the plan versus stuff that it's just them wanting to be heard and complaining and you sort of moving on with the direction the business needs to go? Yeah. So we're not shy of feedback. We try to get as much as we can. We have secret shoppers. We have end of quarter feedback forms that we send out to everybody. But there is most definitely... Uh, like the, the big conversation we have is of all of the members we have right now, how many times have we heard this thing that is an issue of this person or this circumstance? And with the amount of... With the quantity of that complaint that we are getting right now, how much more of that do we need to hear for us to have a ton of respect for it? Because we, like you know, we just renovated the gym and we got the wall space complaint and we had uh, uh, to paint two different scenarios. That, there was, that was there me was on the wall space. <laughs> of course. I, and I appreciate that you of brought course. it back. Thank of you. Of course. Uh, it, was one of the, uh, it was one of the glaring issues that we saw in doing it. Like if we get rid of the wall, I don't know how I feel about it. Hopefully the net benefit of everything else will override this. But we're not opposed to making a change if we get a ton of negative feedback. On the other end of the spectrum, there were some other complaints that were pretty invalid that we said, even if we get this complaint, there's no action step associated with it. And then once we had a ton of feedback saying like, hey, we really love the wall. Like how many times have we heard that? Okay, 30, 40, 50. Okay, like like this is something that we could take action on. So I guess uh, first is, do we expect this issue to come up? And then at what volume does it have to come up for us to actually consider um, having some sort of intervention associated with the issue? Yeah, got it. Excellent. Um, just sort of putting a bow on on that journey for you, what are some, as you're now out, really out of off the floor for 12, 18 months, what are some reflection points other than just, I should have done it sooner? What have you maybe learned about yourself or about the business um, in the last maybe year, year and a half that you, that you never thought? Yeah. It, there are all the things that I heard about what this process would be like that I didn't believe, which is I work way less now. Everything I do is much higher leverage. 
and I'm able to influence way more now than I ever was before. So to have the same level of influence that I had maybe four or five years ago, I would train every session. I would intervene at every opportunity that a trainer was having with a member. And the staff learned and we got a lot better because we were meeting so much and talking about these things so much, but we were doing it at such a high volume that we were wasting so much time of my own and the staff. Luckily, I had an army of like unbelievable trainers that loved working and loved talking shop. Because if I didn't have those two things in my corner, we would have never progressed at the rate that we did being just technicians and only having technician-related conversations all the time. Let me ask you about that word you use, leverage. Um, Again, something I preach in my mastermind members where, again, early on, I tell them they're just trying to get their head above water. They're trying to make enough money so they can pay their rent, pay their bills, support their family. And then they get to that next step where they're doing well in our world. Let's say they're generating two, 300 bucks an hour, uh, very low overhead, and, and they're comfortable. And then what I always tell them, my version of leverage is I tell them, you have to always figure out how to increase your hourly rate. So like if they're doing admin work, they're 20 bucks an hour, not going to happen. If they're treating a patient, 300 bucks an hour, good, but you're going to get stuck, right? What you're saying, the word leverage is the same thing I'm saying. How do you do activity that's $5,000 an hour work? So what are what does that look like for you today on a more tactical level of, because um, uh, again, it, let's just put numbers on it. Let's just say I'm making these up, but you train a session, there's six people there and each person's paying 40 bucks. That's X amount per hour. How do you 10X that? So w- what does that look like for you? Yeah, it, for me, like let's take this this morning, for example. This morning, we put in five new documents and I put videos over top of them and three of them were sales-related videos and two of them were training-related videos. And ultimately, that took me a total of one hour to do. And in that hour, I am hopeful that our sales process is 5 to 7% better and our training process is 3 to 5% better. Mm-hmm. And if I do those two things, can we convert at a higher rate than we currently are? And can we improve the product at the percentage of which we want it to? to retain members to the degree that we want. And if we add up that 3 to 5% of the conversion and we keep 3 to 5%, uh, we get 3 to 5% higher retention, what is that number of that one hour that I just earned from an hourly wage standpoint? Um, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like I can, I can now influence every single sales conversation if I spend the 45 minutes this morning to put together these documents and then manage and mandate that they're carried out appropriately. And then same thing from a training standpoint, like uh, these couple of documents, I think could improve our product and not just for this next session, not just for this week, but going forward. Yeah. Uh, and just to translate that into, you know, our world is we rehab Kairos. So if I spend an hour with our sales team and our clinicians and I talk to four of them and a similar game is played where our conversion rate to plans of care, let's say it's a net over the quarter. Let's just say it's five extra plans of care because of the training that we've did, we've done that time spent. That's a 20, 30, $40,000 conversation because of the people now that I'm training to do it. Whereas if it's Justin in a treatment room, booking one plan of care and doing the sales for that, that's four or 5,000 where four or 5,000 versus 50,000. And so that's the kind of game as, as and people always think it's, you know, how do we grow this business sort of, and that's the, the type of, of leverage, so to speak, or conversations that, that we want to be having. So I think that's really good for a lot of, 
some of my, a lot of my mastermind members, fortunately have been so successful that they are at this stage where this is very relevant for them. And there are a lot that are in my group that I tell them, be careful because it's going to happen sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great conversation. Let's transition to, um, we had you on when we taught our EYSL student course. And again, Hannah, back to it the other day, which gave me the idea to bring you on where she brought up um, the insights that you brought as a kind of as a referral relationship, as you have a training business as a coach and we are a medical practice. And so I almost want to transition into you giving insights to my audience and coaching us and telling us really how it is. And so the first you know, the first thing is anytime you meet someone in this relationship, oh yeah, it's great. We'll refer you all our clients, all of that. But one of the things I remember you said to us when I was asking for insights, it's like, you know, honestly, when people are often in pain, if it's not that bad, it's it's easier for us to just program around it than to refer them to you. And Hannah, again, she always goes back to like, no one's ever said that that frankly, to us before. And it was so insightful because it allows us to recognize, first of all, it's true. Um, Rather than be frustrated by it, we should talk about it. So why don't you just give me more insights into that sort of conversation and and maybe even what you as a team think about with patients? Because I guess one more piece, as medical providers, we think, we just think that every time someone's in pain that you should call us up and send them your client. And the reality is it probably happens less than 20, probably less than 10% of the time. And so talk, take us through your guys' business, your conversations and how you think about this. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think the, the trainer and medical professional relationship is like very overrated. And I think the big piece of that is there's maybe an expectation that is set of what you just said, which is, Hey, every time someone's in pain, send them to me. And then I medical professional, every time I'm done treating somebody, I'm going to send them to you. And uh, it just, it never works out that way. And, and it sounds perfect. Uh, hey, we're going to have hundreds of members and we'll send all of them to you that are in pain. Well, I mean, the the, the reality of the situation is 60% of our members come in for their assessment in pain. <laughs> so if we wanted to, uh, if we abided by that law, we would send 60% of our business to someone else to either share time or potentially lose just because there's only X amount of time that everybody has in their day. So my perspective of the the Cairo's point of view in this is that like the Cairo wants to get more patients, which is reasonable. Uh, and their job is to get that person out of pain. And it's also, I think, incredibly reasonable for the Cairo to think that if I have this patient and the and my goal is to get them out of pain, the last thing I want is to send them to a trainer that has them go through this group class or this one-on-one session and maybe they're a little undereducated, which is fair to assume of the average trainer. Maybe they're a little bit overworked and stressed out, which is fair to assume of the average trainer. And maybe they're going to make the problem worse, which is going to disallow me to get the result that I want with my patient. And if my patient doesn't get the result because of the training that's happening concurrently with the treat with the treatment I'm giving them, then I'm not doing my job. And then am I really going to spend the time and effort afterwards? Let's say I treat somebody and I have this referral relationship. Am I going to spend the time and effort to pitch my patients to a gym after their treatment when I'm trying to run my own damn business? Yeah. Like I have to go, I have to spend my time, effort, and energy on getting people into my doors. The last thing I want to do is learn how to appropriately pitch this, this gym with these trainers after I'm done treating somebody. I think it might make more sense for me as a Cairo 
to put them on some sort of maintenance plan or start to venture towards fitness and training myself. Mind you, I think it's totally fair for a Cairo to think, I actually might be better at training this person at the lower levels of fitness than the average trainer does. Mm -hmm. So now if I give that person, if I'm referring to a gym, am I actually even going to reap the reward of getting people back? And is it going to happen immediately? Or do I have to wait for a long period of time? So I think those are kind of like the Cairo point of views that I think are super reasonable. Uh, for the trainer, like the combination of ego and insecurity, I think makes this very problematic for a Cairo, where like, okay, I'm gonna send my I'm gonna send my member to you. Is this medical professional going to criticize my training philosophy? Are they they going to tell me that all the squats and deadlifts that we do? No, no go. This is bad. Are they going to tell my member that what I've been doing with them for the last three years is the root of the issue? And am I going to lose credibility with my long tenured member because of this? And that, and these are all like real, like very real circumstances that I've dealt with. Uh, will they? Will they tell the member that they can't work out until they're better? And this is the big one. That I, and I'll touch on our relationship, business to business, after this. But I think. If I send somebody to a physical therapist or a chiro and they say, oh, you can't work out, like this ankle issue you have, you can't do anything in a gym. And that has happened. And it just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. And I've talked to enough high-level medical professionals, yourself included, that think that that's absolutely ridiculous, that I no longer think I'm crazy (laughs) and thinking that this person should work out. Uh, will, Will the medical professional potentially think less of me if I send them somebody that is hurt? Uh, will they find me credible if my training protocols make <laughs> get my members injured that I have to refer out? Mm. Will they try to eliminate certain exercises forever? Will they say that we can no longer do these things that are so integral in my training philosophy? Uh, how difficult will that make my life when I train them? Uh, will, I, will I look dumb for having programmed these things in the past to my member? And do I lose credibility, like I was saying before? And then, uh, like, at what point does the Cairo that maybe feels more the medical professional, do they feel more confident in their ability to train this person in, from a fitness perspective that they start to cross the boundaries into what I think I should be doing and they should not be doing? And then will I, uh, a couple other notes is from a training standpoint, will I feel insecure if I don't understand the intricacies of the injury when the medical professional starts to tell me what I should be doing, you know, like it, what's a, what's an example? Tell me an injury that I will have no idea what you're talking about. Um, what's an injury? No idea. Well, I mean, I think so where we see it often, I wouldn't even talk about an injury um, as much as like, well, I'll be in your gym sometimes and I'll like laugh and I'll, sometimes I'll talk to the trainer or not, but I'll see them trying to do like McKenzie extensions or something and they're not doing them correctly. You could see the patient, the, the, the client doesn't like doing them. And I, like, I look at that and know they have back pain and know that they're trying to like, you guys are trying to help and giving them some sort of mobility exercise. But I also know that it's not the right thing because they're not doing them correctly. They're probably not doing enough reps and they don't even know why they're doing it in the first place. And so that is a situation where it's, it's, what is it there? It's a disc or it's a facet or it's a whatever that that person would be a lot better off. But again, I understand the game and, and get it that someone has four or five out of 10 back pain. Um, if it was a, if it was a perfect scenario, if it was Dell, it would be like, you need to be working out and you also probably need treatment because this is a waste of your time doing it like 
this. And so that would be a scenario of call it a disc herniation or call it a facet or whatever, a uh, low back pain thing where that person is getting some stuff because I know they have a problem, but it isn't what they need at that moment. 100%. And I, I think if we as trainers stick to the simplicity of our movement patterns that we can appropriately program that don't start to venture into, oh, I'm doing corrective exercise. I have this, uh, uh, even things like joint mobilization. Like if, if we actually did a true uh, mobility test on somebody and like we just generically give them all of these hip flexion related joint mobilizations, but the person has 120 degrees of hip flexion. It's like, like why, why are we doing this? And should we be? And uh, are we even qualified to really do these things? Um, and I think like in group training environments, it's even, I don't want to say like wild, wild west-ish, but it's like, here's your mobility workout for the day before we work out. And of these eight drills, maybe four to five of them are actually causing more harm than good. Like what you're pointing out now, like uh, of the McKenzie, uh, like the extension drill. So, and I guess the, you know, the big thing here is like, how do we fix this? And like, how do we respect all of these issues that like both businesses could potentially have and like have respect for them, have a conversation about it, set the appropriate expectations and then move forward in a relationship that is what is best for both businesses, at least minorly, and what is most definitely best for the member slash patient. Yeah, I think Joe, just going into that, and this is more of like a, on a clinical level, um, as I see it, sort of having a foot in both worlds, the challenging, the, the, some situations are easy. Like when, when someone comes in with an ankle, right? It's like, that's an easy one that if I'm, if I own your gym that I can very much work around, like, let's say I have trouble weight bearing or dorsiflexion. It's all right. Like hip hinging. I could do a lot of hip hinging. I could have them do bike stuff. I could have them do upper body. I could have them do core. You can program around that for forever and you'll be fine. Where, where it becomes a challenge. I, if, if I was owned your business where your trainers are challenged is sort of that patient with that low back that's just like there all the time, right? It kind of, they just feel it all the time and it's, you can't lower body. They feel it when they load, they feel it in single leg. They feel it when they're working their core. It's just there. And at that point for your trainers, it's kind of like, what do I do? They're either just going to feel this and when they exercise or they're not going to be able to exercise. Those are the patients uh, or the clients for uh, that. If I was in your shoes, your trainer's shoes, be like, what do I do? And then it's like, hopefully they don't get worse from doing it um, because I don't have any other options at this point. Even if, forget about the group setting, even if it was personal training, in certain situations, like when you have a problem and that isn't like, it only hurts when I flex, it's just kind of there all the time. You're, you, you get, you're, you're kind of stuck at that point. And that's where I would say there's a, you kind of meet a roadblock there. And if I was a, owning your business of like, I don't know what to do with this situation. Yeah, 100%. And I think the low back is definitely the biggest issue that like we will have in terms of like, okay, we just can't work around this. But if we can't work around it at all, we can't do any exercise. Like even getting set up for upper body exercises is problematic. It's like, why would we even keep this person in our gym? It logically makes sense that if I'm a Cairo, it's like, what are you doing even trying to train this person? Like clearly things are not working. But I think some of the the things that I spelled out beforehand are, are maybe some things that a 
goes through the average trainer's mind of like, all right, I'm a little bit nervous and insecure to do it. And I want to keep this business. And mind you, if I don't own the business and I refer out and the person never comes back, is my boss going to be mad at me? Do they even understand how this works to the point that I won't have to deal with repercussions and potentially losing a client because I referred them to a medical professional? So then let's let's go into it. So we talked about the things that you just listed off, I think, um, first of all, we always talk about how in any sort of marketing, knowing what the other person is thinking uh, is the most important piece. So as you were talking, I was like, oh, that's good. I never thought of that. The insecurity, the one thing you said that stood out that I never that I never considered was if I refer someone out that got injured from doing programming that I did, will they like, what will that say about me? And I was like, huh, wow, that's an interesting one that I never would have considered. Um, but then, so then that's obviously all those things are true. And those are sort of some of the negatives. So now, or coach us or talk to us through how you would go about as a, if you were me or my business or my audience to, to approach the relationship so that it can be a, a, a beneficial, fruitful relationship, uh, in that way. Cause you know, for us, uh, it's still, even with all that being said, it still is a beneficial relationship to have in a lot of different capacities, even if it's not perfect what I thought it was going to be in school, so to speak. Yeah, 100%. So I think after, uh, like the biggest thing is setting the right expectations. Like the wrong expectations would say, hey, let's do this thing and let's give each other a bunch of business and we're both going to just do so great and it's going to be amazing. And then a month goes by, two months go by, three months go by, and there's been like, one or two referrals in total. Can I just, then, well, I want to pause there because one of the things, uh, a lot of our members, and we did it for a long time, set up an office in a gym. And for the member, for my for my audience out there, if you are looking to negotiate and go into a gym, what James just talked about is the number one reason why those relationships fail is because you go into the gym and it's like, yeah, we'll refer each other clients and we'll do this and do that. And my, re- my rent will be reduced and all this crap. And 10 times out of 10, someone's expectations were off and then there's a blow up and there's a fight and then it becomes an issue. So even if you're like our situation currently where we're not in the facility, um, it's an important thing. But for you guys out there that are looking to go into a gym, dead in the water if you're and it's something that I encourage. So that pay attention to what you just said, expectations being clear. So then if those if those are the wrong expectations, what are the right expectations? Yeah, so it, it's like, hey, if I think ultimately if we're going to talk about like the law of reciprocity and trying to establish a good relationship with a trainer. I think the conversation becomes very templated based on your interactions with our business, where it's like, I don't even think you have to calculatedly sign up for a gym and pay for it just to try to get some, some clients. But uh, Justin's been a member of the gym for what, five years now. And this was a very like, this is for me decision. He was very clear about that up front. But what wasn't going through his mind was like, hey, you know what? I would hate to get patience from this place. It would just be terrible. I definitely don't want to make more money. But it was never necessarily like a, an obvious calculated move on his part where he was working out for himself, number one. But number two, he definitively tries to do what is best for people that are at the gym. So if someone comes up to him, he does a great job of not stepping on toes and getting in the way of the trainer and probably wants to intervene 60% of the time when he is there. But he does a great job of not doing that, but also doing what is best for the member. For example, uh, let me run to my car and get you a lumbar support for the drive because obviously there's an issue when you're feeling the pain when you drive. 
um, having conversations with people that aren't necessarily like, hey, come see me. Like, come stop over here. Just just value ads, which is legitimately helpful for us because we look at it as the trainers and as the business owner. I'm like, I got this. I got this chiropractor that comes in and just like gives free advice. Now, yeah. ultimately, if he gives free advice to a couple hundred people, ten of them are going to come see him. No doubt about it. So, I think your ability as a uh, as a chiro, how do I provide as much value for these people? that doesn't make it seem like I'm calculatedly trying to make more money will end up making you way more money than you could ever imagine. A, a tactical example that I know we've talked about before and I talked to your staff about is when you guys started adding more machines uh, to the gym. Like for me, it was very, because working on both of the machines, specifically you brought in a hack squat and you brought in a uh, leg press. And for me, because I've used both of them and obviously I, I, I live it and I also have patients that use it. I said to you guys, I remember it's like this hack squat is, is a game changer for me. It's great for the back. It's great. Like personally leg press, not, not, not great. Right. And I, I could feel it. And I was like, you're going to, and I told you guys, I'm like, I think you're gonna have some issues with this thing. And you have, I know for sure hips and all that, just because of the mechanism. And again, to your guys' credit, you have modified it. And I can tell, um, you know, with the right people or the wrong people, you program in a certain way. But that was a situation for me. It wasn't about like, you need to send me Sally. It was like, from my perspective, this is really good. And this one, just be careful. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. And like, we've recently had you guys come out and do, and uh, hang outside and talk to some of the members. We have like 25 to 30 members coming in and out and you guys get to talk to them. But I think what a, the big piece is, it's like, Justin's come in and talked to our business about business multiple times. He's talked to our members about training multiple times. He's talked to our trainers about training. He's given us perspective on the medical professional. The amount of total value that Justin has provided far exceeds the business he's gotten from us to this point. But it intuitively makes us okay with saying, go see them. Now, mind you, to get into just what actually happens, when we do recommend and send somebody to strive to move, nobody over there gives us shit for what we're doing with our members. Nobody over there makes our life incredibly challenging by saying, oh, uh, eliminate 80% of your exercise menu and incorporate these 12 exercises in the warm-up. When we hear from a Strive to Move staff member, they say, do this in the warm-up, eliminate this exercise. Awesome. Are, like, you, are you saying that like, um, like you speaking from experience where you get someone that comes in and literally it's like, do these 12 warmups and don't do any of this. Do you, have you had that experience with? I, yes. I, yeah. To get into some of the negative experiences, one of course is expectation setting and the whole, Hey, we're going to send each other everybody. But two is that we send somebody with a very mild issue, an elbow, like a minor shoulder pain, knee, ankle, where we said, I've literally had somebody in the office and I said, these are the movement patterns in which we perform. If someone has pain, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, we eliminate these movement patterns and we customize the program. So it's kind of a steal. There's no reason. like We don't even have to remember and make modifications on the fly during the session or class. We literally write it on the sheet and the person doesn't do that. It's very simple for us to do. To do. So if I'm a medical professional and I'm dealing with a customized training program routine and I'm just able to say, hey, knee problem, we're not going to do knee dominant exercise or maybe even lower body, nothing impact related for the next program. 
no big deal. We can do upper body, it sounds like. We could do most core exercises and we could do cardiovascular work that doesn't incorporate the lower body. No problem. But there have been situations in which physical therapists or chiros have said like, we don't want this person to work out for the next four weeks. I'm like, that is, that, that's insane to me. And I'm not saying that it's because like, oh, we need to keep them here and uh, we want them to spend their money and time with us. And if they do, the, do whatever you're doing, then it's going to take time and money away from the physical therapy or chiro business. But it, it feels that way a little bit where I'm like, if this is actually what is best for the member, you want them to keep doing fitness and probably to keep doing fitness with the people they already trust, especially when they send you the person and almost be like the accessory business in the situation of saying, I'm going to treat you as best as I possibly can to make sure you can still exercise. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about my friend Kevin Vandy and his podcast, The Business of Biomechanics. To give you a quick background, Kevin is a dear friend of mine who I've met through my business journey. Even more importantly for you, he's a world-class healthcare entrepreneur and physical therapist. To give you some quick stats, Kevin is the CEO of Competitive Edge Physical Therapy, which is based in the Bay Area of California. His practice generates seven figures in revenue while being 100% cash pay. Even more important, Kevin's practice is truly unique in that it is truly a biomechanics laboratory with force plate sensors and honestly, a whole lot of other stuff that I don't even understand. So here's what I'm going to do. In the show notes, I'm going to put a link to an episode I want you to check out from back in December of 2022. This episode is with Dr. Nick Studholm. I am linking this episode specifically because Nick is a rehab chiropractor who practices in Colorado and also runs a biomechanics lab. Even cooler than that, Nick is a member of a rehab chiro mastermind, and his business has really taken off since joining our program. It's a fantastic conversation and one I know you'll get a ton of value from. So after this episode is over, of course, I want you to go and check out The Business of Biomechanics with Kevin Vandy, and don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Now, back to the show. I have one more question and then I have the Q&A that I want to bring up. Um, potentially one of the objections that people will have about our situation is that it genuinely was me literally finding a place to work out for Dell first and then myself. Uh, but I've been there as a member, paying member for years and years and years. What would you suggest for people, you know, like people say to me, I can't be a member of 20 gyms, but I'd love to have 20 good relationships. So if someone can't be a member of every gym or they aren't, what would you suggest? Yeah, I would just try to provide as much value as possible. I would I would talk to them about coming in and talking to them <laughs> about pain-related things so you can help. Uh, two, get to know their model. Like, let, like trainers, I mean, to be perfectly honest, relative to the average medical professional, we are very dumb and we are very insecure. <laughs> so if, you, if a medical professional can come in and say, hey, teach me a little bit about your training model and what you guys do. And not, not for you as a medical professional to sit in there and say, mm, this is dumb. This doesn't abide by my FMS mindset. This, uh, this, this disregards everything from a PRI standpoint. Uh, the goal is just to learn what they do. So if they ever do send you somebody, you can kind of speak their language and saying like, hey, I know you guys love that whole snatch exercise, but this person shouldn't do it for the next two months or maybe ever. <laughs> yeah, got it. Love it. Um, all right. So here's some questions from the audience. The first one, this is a real question and you'll love it. Does Justin even lift? 
So, so Justin, <laughs> questionable. So, so Justin, I have on record as saying that he thinks in five years ago he said this that he said in the next decade nobody will be using weights anymore and everybody will be doing just bodyweight exercise. Did I say so that? You did say that in your office. We're having a conversation about FRC, and uh, you're like, yeah, it just it seems crazy that you know we all lift weights but we could probably get enough of a fitness effect from doing just bodyweight exercises that I think 10 years from now, we won't even be lifting weights. Well, it's, oh, the, con- the context of that actually, as you the first, the, the headline is outrageous, but I think <laughs> if I, if I do remember correctly, uh, as I think about it though, there's so many people, oh, I'm going to struggle through talking through this now. Um, I think where that came from was like, you look at people that, are so they move like shit and then they go to a gym and they add, you know, weights onto moving like shit. And it was like, they would probably do better by just learning how to move better. But I, if that was the context, I think a decade later or however long later, uh, even in that situation, I would go back and change what I'm saying because the ability to move weight and maintain or build muscle over as people age, I think is, is tremendously valuable and important, even if they don't move properly. And I would say another change, I'm cutting you off because, uh, you don't want me ripping into you. (laughs) Well, I don't agree. I I don't agree a hundred percent anymore, but I've had a, a revelation in the last six or eight months. And I've told you about this because, you know, for so long, because of my back and all this bullshit, I was like, it's not worth it for me to lift heavy and do all of that, like in a traditional sense. So I avoided so much lower body forever. Um, and like probably about 12 months ago, I, I like looked at myself and watched myself move and I was in shape and I just fucking felt weak. I felt weak, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And I, I keep, I've told you this multiple times, the biggest revelation for me was that hack squat machine because it's the first time I've loaded my lower body in a way and, and it feels great. And it's, it's, so it's been such a benefit for me and the cost has been good, right? Like the squatting for me with a bar on my back, I like to, I still can't justify that because I know the outcome probably won't be good and the benefit is not worth it. But with the, the machines that you guys have brought in specifically the hack squat personally, it's been fantastic. So, um, it, it again, you know, hopefully my, my whole life, I'll be willing to change my opinion if something else comes about. But, um, that, that's been a huge, a huge thing for me that if, if you guys never added that, I, ne- I probably would have thought like I did seven or eight years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, uh, I think like one to, to answer the question, yes, he does, he does lift, but it's, a, I think it's a perfect example of how this could work from a medical professional to trainer perspective in that like we knew we're not doing bilateral lower body exercises with Dr. Rabinowitz. And, but he could lunge with 70s in each hand. He could do split squats plenty. But we're not, he's not going to do a safety squat. He's not going to do a trap bar deadlift. And we're going to keep him away from those things. And because of that, can we not train lower body? No, we could lunge like crazy. He could do single leg RDLs just fine. We could do plenty of bridging and thrusting variations. We could do quad and hamstring isolation exercises on machines. There's plenty of stuff that we could do that I think as a medical professional, uh, being able to point that out, like, hey, you guys do plenty. You guys can still train people, but there may be some things that we disqualify. And in fact, I can't think of a single member that we have that there isn't some sort of disqualification based on their potential pain or injury history. Yeah, got it. So the next question, and this is actually your scenario, um, 
because we are not located in your facility. We're across the street. If you had a, a PT or traditional Cairo or non-traditional Cairo in-house already, like how would you want to be approached from the outside or how does that impact referrals or non-referrals that you make? Yeah, I would say if if I'm a gym owner and I have a physical therapy place in the facility, which we do, is uh, the first thing that you probably have to do is uh, play to the ego and insecurity that the average gym owner slash trainer has and send them some people, send them some business. Uh, because again, law of reciprocity, they're going to deal with some intuitive uh, ego issues of like, you know, if I do send them, do they think less of me? Like I was saying before, and I think as a medical professional, you could really create a ton of value by, for lack of a better term, making the trainer or business owner feel smart by sending them people saying, I know you'll do a good job with them. And it doesn't have to, it sounds calculated, but if you do actually trust them, that's very helpful. But you probably have to take the initiative of sending them people before you're probably going to get people back. And then if there is a strong line of communication about what is best for the member without too much work and effort for the trainer, it's like if you start giving them uh, you know, the, the 12 steps to, the, to FMS correctives that this member has to do before every workout, you're going to lose them because you're just making their life complicated. Got it. Uh, next question. It's sort of two parts. Um, how would you describe us strive to move to your member if you wanted to refer? Like, what would you say? Expensive. Well, so that was the next question. With our price point, is there worry from the gym owner that we are potential? It says taking your clients, but is there a, ever a hesitancy of like they are expensive? So, like, how does that? What? What? So, two parts. How would you describe us? And then, how does the cost and, and expense piece of it come into play? Yeah, I, I think there's a positive spin in either scenario. Like historically, like with physical therapy that take insurance, like, hey, they take insurance, go check them out. Or it's like, hey, they don't take insurance, but they do one-on-ones and they're not cheap, but you're going to get one-on-one attention for the whole hour. So it's the same way in training, how we can kind of like talk about how beneficial one-on-ones could be versus small group training versus large group training. Uh, I think the same thing, uh, I've had the same conversation with members about you guys in terms of what your price point is and why you are priced at that rate. Would you say that your sort of selling point is, is the one-on-one the thing that you guys look at of like, if you want one-on-one, is it that they're going to keep you in the gym? Is it that they understand trade? Like, is, but is the one-on-one the thing for you that like, is the, the thing that you typically sell would sell us our versus like another provider or, or no? Uh, yes. Yeah. I would say if I was talking about strive to move, I would say like that you're going to have one-on-one attention for the whole hour. So it's, uh, you know, there are some models where you're going to be one of many and you're going to have your exercises and maybe you're not going to get the supervision that you want, uh, but they take insurance. So if you want to go the cheaper route, you have the insurance option. You're not going to get necessarily the supervision that you may want if you feel like you just need a few exercises and uh, some, uh, you know, five minutes of manual treatment. Totally cool. If you want like one-on-one supervision for 60 minutes, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, and this, these are your options. That's great. I, I, I think that's great. And what I would add to that is something that Vince talked to me when we were at his gym and he always reminded me, and I don't think we did a good enough job. He's like, you have to coach our coaches 
on how to refer and what to say and how to send. And, you know, you are a business person that understands marketing and sales about like telling people what the options are. And so you sort of naturally do that for us. But for our audience, not every gym owner thinks like this. And so as I'm thinking about it, if I was if I was opening up in whatever, Texas, and I meant to the community, the conversations that I would have for trainers would be something along the lines of, listen, we we're probably not, we are not going to be your cheapest option. Uh, if someone 100% wants to use their insurance, like there will be other options. However, if they tried that already, or if they really value one-on-one, or if the X, Y, and Z, then we might be a good option. And so it sounds like for you, for it's, a, it's almost very logical. Like, what do you want, right? And same thing in the training business. Um, I think Kyle said to me one time where I was like, all right, we missed something here that one of the objections what you guys got from a potential client was like, you're so much more expensive than like retro. And I said to Kyle, I was like, we, something was missed in the messaging along the way, because if you're getting compared to that, like clearly there's a mismatch somewhere. Um, or even like, I think it was orange theory, same thing. It's like, all right, still, right. Something is being missed in the messaging. And so I translate that to like our services of like, yes, you can absolutely go and they will take your insurance if that's the most important thing. If you want one-on-one and if you want to stay in the gym or whatever the pitch is, so to speak, like you have different options. And just in general, in life, not everyone always chooses the cheapest option so long as they have some version of seeing the value, um, which you do a, a great job of. And it doesn't, and again, it's not like you're saying you need to go see these guys. It's if you value this, this is a good option. If that's not so important to you, then you try this and you don't, it, you're giving them the choice. It's not really uh, a sales thing of just like, here are your options and, and here's what you do. So I think that's, that's really, really valuable. And, and for our audience to be able to think about what, when you go speak to someone, what is it that you want them to be able to tell their, their clients and trainers? Um, last, last question. Um, from a business standpoint, Kaylee actually asked this. She said, you know, for a lot of long time, we would love to do things at Pratt, but we never did. What was the change where you mentioned it before that you now are inviting people like us or the sneaker factory to do events for you? Was it just not in your focus? Was it a business model change for you? Like what was it on your end as a business owner that allowed us to set up shop or the sneaker factory or things like that? Yeah, I think for me, it's like nobody was going to Come up with the idea and carry it out. Besides myself, I don't really have. Uh, I don't have someone on staff to kind of like set that up and do it. And it became like a just a thought of you know why not? It's like is this is this really challenging for me to do? No, it's actually pretty easy. I just tell people to set up a table outside. Will my members like it? Yeah, I, I some of them will. And those that don't just walk by. It's not like these people are going to be soliciting our members on the way in and out. They're just saying, do you need help? Like, do you want to get on the table? Do you want to learn more about what we do? If so, great. And it's been tremendously helpful for a few people. Same thing with the sneaker factory. Some people walk in and out and they're like, hey, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about some sneakers. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Pilates downstairs. Awesome. I'd love to talk to you about Pilates. So for the 5% of people that like it, it seemed to make a ton of sense. It really wasn't a ton of work for me. I just asked you guys if you want to do it. Now, I've asked a lot of people to do it. <laughs> but Strive to Move has been there, what, four, five, six times now. Yeah. And I, I think that's the difference. If, like, if you're given that opportunity as a Cairo, it's like, if you come once, which the first time you came, I don't think it was an overly positive experience, but you came again, you came again, you came again. And now you've gotten, I think, maybe three people from uh, from being there four times. And I'd imagine that's worthwhile. 
Uh, very, very worthwhile. Um, and I, I think the lesson for me in this situation is a lot of people, and it doesn't have to be in this specific thing, but a lot of people, when they start to go build their business and like network and meet people, they send an email and the person doesn't respond or they do this and the person shrugs it off and all of that. But I think listening to you and kind of full circle when you started, it was like, like you're a business owner. Your focus is not on us. It's not that you don't like us. It's not that you're like negative towards us. It's not that you hate chiropractors. It's just that for like the last 10 years, you've had your head in the building your own business. And so until you had an opportunity to maybe add, add it and, and think about it, it wasn't that you didn't like us and didn't want us there. It was just that it wasn't part of your thought process. And so I think the lesson for me is the same lesson I tell our members of when they do network and follow up with people. It's oftentimes you just have to be there when that person is ready. Right. Yeah. And for the last decade, you weren't ready and had nothing to do with us. We think everyone is so selfish in thinking that it's a us, like it's that was a problem with strive. It had nothing to do with us. It was you weren't ready to do it. We just needed to be there when you were ready. And you're right. We have taken advantage of it and been consistent with it. And it has been beneficial. And so yeah. I think that's a that's a great um that's a great lesson to to sort of wrap on. Uh before we wrap up, anything for you that I didn't ask you that I should have? Mm. Um, how often I do biceps, uh, what, my, what my bench press was in college. Also not relevant. <laughs> why I, why I look so young, <laughs> even though I just turned 35. Uh, no, but I think, I think just to touch on the most recent point, the, um, uh, the, the big thing for me that m- might be helpful for, uh, for Kairos is that when I did think of how do I, like what businesses should I have in here? the first business I thought of was the one that already told me multiple times that like, Hey, if you ever wanted to do something, just let me know, Mm. you know? So like, okay, what businesses can I have out here to provide a benefit? Like I, like I'm not doing this first strive to move necessarily. I'm literally like, I'm doing it for my members Mm. and strive to move is a beneficiary of this. But like my thought process is like the members will benefit from going out and seeing other businesses that they may want to do business with that they will never call whether it's sneakers, whether it's Pilates, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's chiropractic. But the first business I thought of was the one that said to me many times over the years, like, hey, if you ever want to do something, just let me know. (laughs) You know, not like, hey, let's do it. And if you don't do it, I'll be pissed at you. It's like, if you want to, we're down. Mm -hmm. Love it. Excellent. James, I appreciate your time. I know the audience is going to really enjoy this. And for you guys uh, coming to the live event in September, Sunday morning, 630, James is going to be ready to make you vomit. And also for my VIP members, uh, James will be at dinner on Thursday night and uh, at the steakhouse. So we're looking forward to seeing you and I appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you for free. One, grab a copy of my free guide, The Rehab Chiropractor's Checklist. You can get that at go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. That's go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. Two, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram at Justin Rabinowitz, where I post business content. Three, subscribe to my weekly newsletter by sending me an email at coaching at strive to move.com. And four, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential people and bring those lessons back to you. <laughs>